Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you? Good. Oh, man, that was a really weak Independence Day. Oh, uh, hey, good morning, Life Church. How are you? That's great. It's awesome. You know, I've never done that, and it's, like, been worse the second time. Like, that would be funny if I ever do that, and it's worse to be like, woof, this is a tough crowd today. But thank you for being here on Independence Day weekend. And uh, if, you've, you know, if you haven't figured it out by now at Life Church, we love to celebrate freedom. We love to celebrate what God has done, both in the natural but also in the spiritual. And liberty is God's idea. It's not man's idea. And as we were diving into preparing this passage in 2 Samuel, um, I came across a passage that we're going to talk about here in a, in a second in Isaiah 9-6, but I have this uh, Founders Bible, and this, you can get them out at our, uh, our, our welcome desk there. This is one of David Barton's Bibles, and if you know David Barton, the American historian, he's an amazing, amazing man. He studies, he's got the, the largest private collection of uh, uh, American historic documents, uh, second to no one other than um, the Smithsonian, I believe. So that he, he goes through the history and the archives of what our founders really truly believed when they were st- creating this this republic, and so he puts a lot of that in in the in the the outline of the Bible here. And we were in Isaiah nine six, and it was talking about how God has has called uh, the, the governing arm of of the Trinity is Jesus and. And it talked about independence and freedom. And there was a passage here, uh, an American history passage here that he wrote, and I want to read it for you. It said, after the war for independence, America's founders knew too well that they owed God their praise and honor for victory over the mighty British nation. In 1781, the United States Congress proclaimed this, whereas it hath pleased almighty God, the father of mercies, remarkably to assist and support the United States of America in their important struggle for liberty against the long-continued efforts of a powerful nation. It is the duty of all ranks to observe and thankfully acknowledge the interpositions of providence in their behalf. And I, I love that statement because the founders and those leading through the, the terrible time of war, the war for independence, they recognize that if it had not been for God, we would not have been successful. And every generation has had to defend liberty in this nation uh, one way or the other. From the revolution to the Civil War to, uh, you could go back even before that, the War of 1812 and then the Civil War. And then you'd have the First World War, then you had the Second World War, then you have conflicts like Vietnam and Korea, then you had uh, the, the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. Uh, you've, had, you've had every generation having to defend liberty. And now what's happening is there, there's a new war, there's a new battlefront in America, and it's an ideological war. It's the idea of whether or not this nation was really truly planted and birthed by God and his values and his ideals, or was it just happenstance? Was it just, was it just a coincidence is it not really a Christian nation to begin with? Is it just secular where morals, there are no really moral principles. Everyone can do what's right in their own eyes. And that's the battle we're having right now. And so as we celebrate independence today, let us not forget that we have a duty to steward this nation. It's all about stewardship. It's not about worshiping this nation. It's not about recognizing that, you know, we're only citizens of America and not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. No, it's about stewarding this nation in the same way that we steward your family you steward your business, you steward your church, you steward whatever God has given you. This nation is a big piece of who we are and the blessings that we have. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into 2 Samuel today. 
Father, thank you so much for being the God of liberty. And Lord, I pray that here at Life Church, you would help us to be good stewards of all that you've given us, Lord. And that includes this amazing, beautiful republic, Lord, that was birthed by the blood, the sweat, the tears, and the sacrifice by those who have pledged their, their lives, their, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Lord, that they would not look down on us now and say, what are you doing squandering the beauty of freedom that has been given to you by generations that have gone before. But let them look down and that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and let them say, you, just like the other generations before, are stewarding this nation well. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive from you today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this passage is all, it encompasses the whole scriptures in this one chapter. It's basically a, a look at what's happened and a prophetic look at what's to come. And it all surrounds a guy by the name of David. We saw the last few chapters, we've seen David has now come to power within Israel. If, you're, if you are new with us, we go right through scripture verse by verse. And we've been in 2 Samuel studying the life of, of King David and how the Lord has raised him up. And now he's leading. Last week we looked at the, the, the worship uh, uh, the aspect of David's heart as a worshiper. The Ark of the Covenant came back into Jerusalem and David is, is celebrating. He's not too kingly to become undignified for the Lord. And so now David has, he has Israel unified. He has the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence rests and resides on back in Jerusalem. And now he begins to think about where do we go from here? And you're going to find that he wants to build God a house. Doesn't see, he, he doesn't see that it's, 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 uh, he doesn't see that it's, it's right that God is living in a tent. God needs to be living in a house. And so that's where we pick up right here in this passage in Scripture. But I said it earlier, I want to go into Isaiah 9, 6. Because this, you're going to see David mentioned all throughout Scripture. The house of David, the kingdom of David. And, and, it, and right here in Isaiah, Isaiah it's, a, it's a great example of that. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. We, we read this passage of Scripture all the time during Christmas. But this is so much more than a Christmas passage. And it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what we're seeing right now is that Jesus is being prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah and is saying from the house of David. And if you know anything about this passage of scripture, I, I love this when people say, well, you know, Micah, you and Life Church, you guys seem to be overly political. And they're like, church is, the church shouldn't be political. God's not about politics. He's about just getting people to heaven someday. That's what God's about. That's what people, and I know Christians who think that. And then I go back to this passage and I say, well, what about this? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. What is government? Government is setting policy to govern a people. Well, what is policy? What is the act of creating policy? It's politics. Policy, and some people I know you believe that politics, you know, poly meaning many ticks, blood sucking parasites, you know, many blood. <laughs> it's not what it is. It's setting policy to govern a people. And Jesus is all about that. Jesus literally is, is the, he's the governing arm of the Trinity. 
And he's come to establish his kingdom on earth forever and ever. Now, you're not going to, when, when this all ends, when the Lord comes back, please know you're not going to live in the sky in a cloud somewhere. It is going to come back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. God did not create Adam and Eve to go live with him somewhere in the clouds or wherever, wherever the, the third heaven is, is what Paul refers to it as. God created Adam and Eve to live on earth, and God is going to come and be with us. It's always God's job, God's desire is to be with us. And so we're not going, you know, I know, I know you think like, okay, I die, I'm going to go away. No, at some point, we're coming back to a new heaven, a new earth, new bodies, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And that's the beauty of all this. You're going to see a lot of probably what we know to, to earth, earth looks like. I mean, the Garden of Eden is still somewhere in this earth. We don't know where it's at. We, we, it's been, it's been kind of changed and, and wiped away. But the physical property is still somewhere on this earth. And scholars are trying to find it, and, and they have ideas where it might have been. But isn't that cool that God is going to come and be with us? And that's what this whole passage of 2 Samuel chapter 7 is about. It's about setting up the government of God on this earth so that you and I can rule and reign with him for all eternity. Let me ask a question. Where are you going to be in 200 years from now? You ever thought about that? Where will you be 200 years from now? So a lot of people are like, well, I'll be dead. <laughs> yeah, you probably, yeah, your body will, will have given out and you'll be dead. But you'll be somewhere. And for those of you who don't understand this passage, you're not going to like where you're going to be. But for those who get this passage that we're going to study today, you're going to be, you're going to love where you are. You're going to, you're going to have so much joy and passion and peace. that It won't, this, what this earth has to offer won't even come close to what that new heaven and new earth brings with it. But that's what 2 Samuel is all about. Again, I mentioned that, I mentioned that uh, the, na the name of David is second, it's mentioned the most amount, amount of times in Scripture, second only to the name of Jesus. Okay, so David was a big character. The very first passage, or the very first book, very first verse in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 1, and it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And now go to the very end of the New Testament in Revelation, the very last chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, and it says, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And then we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary, and this is another Christmas story verse that we use a lot, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. David, 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 David. Who is this David? What is God teaching us through David? Well, God is showing us he took Saul off of the kingdom. He replaced him with David, a, a man after his own heart, a worshiper who loved God. And he's saying to us, the house of David will never, ever end. And if you know Christ, if you're in Christ, you are also now in the house of David. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. That's why I love Israel. I, I love going to Israel. I love the people of Israel. I love the, the star of David. I love, the, I love everything that I see God doing to bring back the nation of Israel. It's not that they're, they're, uh, we're grafted with, as Christians, Jesus is the way to get to heaven, the only way to get to the Father. But there is a special place 
for the house of David and actual Israel in the heart of the Lord. And so all of this passage is hitting that, and it's the Lord is saying, the house of David, the kingdom of David, the throne of David, David's seed, David's descendant, and it's pointing to Jesus Christ. So now turn to Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Let's dive in here. Then when king, the king, speaking of King David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, and had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in the tent. David's saying, I have this beautiful home, but why, why, does, why does God live in a tent and I live in a beautiful house made of cedar and, and adornments. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Now, this is the very first time in scripture we're introduced to this character, Nathan. You're going to see Nathan now uh, uh, quite a bit. Nathan is considered a court prophet. He's someone that is in the, in the court of the king. And he gives wisdom and guidance to the king when the king needs it or when the Lord tells the king to go give it to David, and you're going to see that Nathan calls David out when David's wrong. I mean, listen, leaders get it wrong. And you're going to see that David was not a perfect man in, by any stretch of the imagination. If David were alive today, David would be probably in prison. Okay, just so you know that. Like, I'm not telling you that to disparage David. I'm telling you that to say, look at how God redeems people. If you ever thought you couldn't be used by the Lord or loved by the Lord, just study the life of David, and you'll say, okay, I'm I haven't made those, those many mistakes as he had. I haven't, most of you probably haven't killed someone to marry their spouse, okay? If you have, can, you know, raise, raise your hand, anyone in this room? Okay, all right, good. All right, okay, David did that, all right? So right there, you're probably saying, okay, maybe I'm a little bit better than David, but what that's teaching us is that God can use whoever has a willing heart and a humble heart and a heart of a worshiper. So Nathan was the court prophet. He was mentored by Samuel, many scholars believe. So now Samuel's passed away. Remember, Samuel died during the time of Saul. But, but Nathan was probably the next in line to help really lead the nation. So David's grieved over the fact that he lived in a majestic house and the ark of the God, God was in a tent. Now, a little side story here. There's a, uh, in 2005, there's an archaeologist. I think it was around 2005. There's an archaeologist in Israel. It was a lady. And she, she went to this little gift shop uh, in Jerusalem, and she noticed a, a capital, which is, um, which is a, the top of a pillar, and it was a Phoenician capital kind of coming out out of the ground. They've, they've sort of, they, they were digging around a little bit, and they, they saw this, this beautiful capital on top of this pillar. They, they knew that there was a pillar that goes down deep, but they could just see the, the capital sticking up out of the ground. And she, she realized what it was. And she told her, her team, she said, if you guys dig here, you will find the house of David. Now, at that point, we didn't know if there really was a house of David. We knew about it in Scripture, but, but is there actually a physical house where David was living in? We knew he was king. We knew that he reigned somewhere, but where's his house? She said, we've just found the house of David. If you dig down from this very spot, you'll find the house of David. And people said to her, how do you know this? How, how, how can this be? Like, like what, you know, are you, what, are, what are you reading that we're not? She says, I'm reading the Bible. I know the Bible better than you. And they said, well, well where? Like, tell us where. So she, she said, go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is a few chapters earlier. We just studied it. And it says this, And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built the house, built David a house. Hiram was the Phoenician king. Tyre was the capital of the, the Phoenician uh, empire at the time. 
And so she says, there's a, there's a Phoenician cap, capital right there. This has to be the house of David. And sure enough, they dig, they dig down, they uncover the actual house of King David because of what the Bible said. Ph- phenomenal. People are like, ah, the Bible's not real. How do you know the Bible's real? Well, right, right there, there you go. Like you can see like time and time again, history and science, it proves, it proves God. It does not disprove God. You don't have to be afraid of history or science. It's not going to disprove God. You can try all day long. You'll never disprove God. You'll find it to be true over and over and over again. So now going back to this story, Nathan tells David, go and build the house for God that your heart desires. The Lord is with you. This was bad advice by the prophet Nathan. And you may be thinking, wait, I didn't think prophets could get it wrong. He wasn't, he wasn't communicating the word of the Lord. He was just giving his own opinion. And how often do we say, do we think someone has a prophetic gifting or tells us, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying this. And then we, we, we take it as gospel truth and come to find out they weren't, they weren't accurate. Prophets are humans too. They make mistakes. Even Nathan, in this moment, you're going to see made a, made a mistake by telling David to go and build the house. Do as your heart desires because the Lord is with you. Yes, the Lord is with him, but you're going to find that God had a different plan. I think that's a good reminder that we got to be careful when we encourage someone to do anything, to do something. I mean, if someone comes to me and says, Mike, I feel like, I feel like God is calling me to do this. Nine times out of 10, I'm like, well, great, go do it. And I just flippantly do that. This was kind of a a check for me to say, okay, I need to be careful where I'm leading people when they say, hey, God, God is, I feel like God wants me to do this or, or that. Spend some time praying about it. And as you're going to see Nathan, the, the word of the Lord, he comes to Nathan and says this, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. He said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Okay, so what, we'll stop right there. What God is saying, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He's saying, do you think man can build me a house? I'm the creator of the universe. (laughs) Do you think there's a a home that can hold me, David? I love your heart, but you don't really know what what you're trying to do here. And even in Isaiah 66, the prophet Isaiah says this, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? God is saying, there's no one who can contain me. There's no thing that can contain me. No one can build me anything. I am the builder, you are not. Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. And the Lord continues to go on and tell Nathan, he says, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to, the shep- to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built a house of cedar? He's basically making the point to Nathan. He's like, if I needed a house built, I would have commanded the judges. I would have told the leaders, I, you know, Joshua, Moses, I would have told them to build me a house. I haven't asked that. So David, don't, don't, don't begin moving in ways that you don't understand. And I think what God, is, what God is saying here to David is he's saying, David, I love your heart, but you don't understand me at all. I love, I love your passion. I love that you're concerned with me, but you don't know who I really truly am. And so Nathan has to go back and tell David this. And, and, and God goes on, he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David... Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, 
that you should be the prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people of Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly." Now, I want to go back here just to this verse right here. What a powerful passage of Scripture this is. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. That's what I want my life verse to be, right there. If God is with you and he cuts off your enemies before you, oh my goodness, you're going to have a good time. Now, I, I kind of have a few enemies out there, I think. I mean, why are you laughing? <laughs> There's people that don't like me, but... I don't ever worry about what they're doing or saying to me because I know who's on my side. And every day I get up and say, Lord, be with me today. There is nothing, any one of those enemies, people who, who desperately hate me, and they do, and there's some people out there who really hate me, I don't, I'm not concerned with them because I know who's defending me. I know who's fighting my battles. I pray, Lord, be with me today and cut my enemies off. Now, that doesn't mean I don't pray for my enemies. I do pray for them. I'm like, Lord, bring them to the saving knowledge of who you are. I want to see them part of the kingdom of God too. But I'm not worried when I go to battle because the Lord's with me. If you're going into battle and the Lord's not with you, you should be worried. But if you go into battle and the Lord's with you, you have nothing to fear. And that's what the Lord is telling Nathan to remind David. Say, hey, I've been with you. I'm the one who brought you up out of the pasture. I'm the one who cut your enemies off. I'm the one who's given you this nation. I love your heart that you're building, that you want to build me a house, David, but I build you things. You don't build me things. Now, verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. I believe this is still an unfulfilled prophecy. Prophecy. Again, I mentioned Israel earlier. I love going to Israel, but boy, they are surrounded by violent people. I mean, that's a, that's a powder keg of just chaos ready to go off at any given moment. And we see just the conflict that embroils that land. But there's coming a day when this will all come to fruition and it will be fulfilled, and we will see no more evil men doing anything to afflict Israel. And I'm praying for that day. I can't wait for that day. But that's verse, that's verse 10. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is an amazing look all the way back to the beginning of time and all the way to the end of time. And that's what we're seeing here. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So Nathan is going and telling David this. He says, hey, you want to build God a house? He's going to actually build you a house. And he's reminding David, he's saying, David, you don't build me anything. I build things for you. How often do we take on the responsibility of God on our own shoulders sometimes? You want to build a, you want to build a, a, a church? You want to build a business? You want to build a family? You want to build a nation? You want to build anything? How often do we say, okay, what do I have to do to get it done? You know, our founders, our founding fathers, even Benjamin Franklin, one of the most irreligious of all the founders, knew scripture better than most pastors today know scripture. And he gets up at the First Continental Congress and he says, gentlemen, if we expect to do this thing of building an empire, and yet a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the knowledge of the creator knowing that, how do we think we're going to fare any better than the builders of Babel 
in their endeavors if we're trying to build this new republic. He says, I call on the clergy to come every single day at the start of this legislative day to pray that God would guide us. And they called a pastor in and he prayed. And it wasn't just the typical, you know, county. I, I pray at the Westfield uh, City Council uh, meetings often. And, and I think Scott, Scott's here, you know, Scott, Scott it's, a, you know, I try to make it powerful, but it's like I got about 30 to 40 seconds, right, to, to do it. So, so, but I pray at the city council meetings. That is not what happened that day when Ben Franklin called in the pastors. They prayed for three hours. They got on their knees and they prayed and they fervently prayed and they prayed that God would build this republic for them. They knew something about who God was. God is a builder. We don't build things for him. He builds things for us. So whatever you're trying to build in your life right now, whatever, again, go to the Lord. Say, Lord, please build this for me. Guide me and direct me. Give it over to him and watch him do what he does best. And he loves, loves, loves pouring blessings out on his children because he loves you. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. This is a prophetic word of Solomon, David's son. And he shall build a house. He's saying, David, you're not gonna build the house, but I'm gonna have Solomon build the temple. And if you go in and you study other passages of scriptures, uh, other passages of scripture in this context, David had, had blood on his hands. He was a man of war. And the Lord said, because you have blood on your hands, I'm not going to let you build my temple, but I'm going to raise up your son, Solomon, to do that. And he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, and trust me, Solomon commi committed a lot of iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men and if you know Solomon, I've always wondered, you know, we'll fast forward here just a little bit to, to the life of Solomon. The Bible says he was the wisest of all men to live. Now, he had 700, over 700 wives. He had, he had more concubines than that. I'm thinking to myself, this guy is an idiot. He's just asking for drama. I mean, I've seen sister wives, okay? Like, you don't, uh, you don't want more than one wife, right? There's drama. I'm like, how is it that he's the wisest man to ever live? And he would bring, not only that, he would bring in their idols. He'd bring in the false idols and put them on high places and they would worship different gods, which is a big no-no. Idolatry is like, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. That was pinnacle number one if you want to follow God. And yet Solomon did that. Now, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who was a mentor to me and he said, well, Micah, it was the end of his life. If you read Ecclesiastes, the Lord allowed Solomon to have every pleasure this world has to, have, has to offer. Wealth, fame, women, all the gods that this world has to offer, Solomon experienced them. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. This, this means nothing. If I don't have God, I have absolutely nothing. And my, and my pastor friend said to me, he said, that's the moment he became the wisest man to ever live. And so David is getting the prophetic word from God saying, I'm going to be with your son Solomon. He's going to make mistakes, but I'm going to discipline him. And God disciplines those he loves. If you've ever gotten disciplined, don't rebuke discipline. God loves you. Parents love your children. Discipline your children. Fathers, discipline your children. Mothers, discipline your children because that's an act of love. And that's what God is saying right here. He said, I will love him, but I will discipline him. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before, uh, from before you. Now, I think this is cool because God is making a decree. When God speaks, it has to happen. 
And I think what God is doing in this moment, he's saying, he's saying, if I don't say this, then there's always going to be the wonder, well, will I pull the kingdom away from David too? Because people make mistakes and there are a lot of bad kings in David's line. Am I going to pull the kingdom away? Well, God is making the decree at this very moment saying, never will I pull it from you. Yes, you'll make mistakes. You'll have children that make mistakes. Their children will make mistakes, but I will go back to these words. And when God says something, it happens. Some people think God can do anything he wants. I argue that no, God cannot do anything he wants. God is limited by his word. He limits himself with his word. And an example I use is when God flooded the world, he gave us the rainbow. And the real meaning of the rainbow is what? God says, I love you. I'm giving you a sign that I will never destroy the world through water, a giant flood ever again. So I ask people in this time and age, can God destroy the world via water today? No, he can't. I mean, he has a power to, obviously. I'm not saying he doesn't have the power, but he can't do it. Why? Because his word said he wouldn't do it. He limits himself with his own word. And what I think he's doing here is he's limiting himself. He's saying, you're going to test my patience David, and your children will test my patience, but I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to make the decree. Let it be so. Let it be done. I'm never going to pull my love from your house or your line ever in the same way I did with Saul. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The, the prophetic look into all of eternity, going all the way back to the very Garden of Eden, and we talked about this a few months or a few weeks ago. We looked at the prophetic word when the serpent, when God cursed the serpent, and he said, I will cause the seed of the woman to bruise, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. That is the very first prophetic look within the, of the gospel message that this world has ever seen. But it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It comes up to this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the Lord is saying, and look, as far out into the distance of eternity as you can see, and your throne will be established there as well. From the beginning of time to the end of the age, the throne shall be established forever. The house of David will not ever pass away. Do you want to know why you can have joy when the world is crashing in around you? Do you, know, you want, do you want to know why you can have a smile on your face and you can soar with wings like eagles? It's because we know how this is all going to end. Amen? Is, you, is your life, do you feel like it's just cra the waves are crashing in around you? Go back to, and read the end. Yeah, it's, it, it hurts for, for a season. It's not easy for a season. But God is victorious in it all. The house of David is established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke this to David. So Solomon built the temple, but God had a house built for David. And it wasn't a house of cedar. It wasn't a house of Phoenician capitals. It wasn't a house house. It was a royal house. It was a dynasty. And in the theological world, we call this the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is something that when, when theologians get together, what they're saying is all of, for all of time, for the rest of eternity, the house of David will never fall because of the covenant God made right there in that passage where he says, I will not pull this from you like I did with Saul. Have you ever heard the phrase that sometimes when God closes a door, he opens a window? You've heard that? You know, God makes a way. In David's case here, God closed a door but he opened a house. It wasn't the house that David thought he was going to build, build, but it was a house God built for David. 
Second Samuel chapter 7 is a beautiful look of the beginning of time to the end of time and where Jesus and the gospel message is flowing the whole time. But why, I asked, I asked the Lord this the other night, I said, Lord, why did you go through the painstaking process of building the house of David? Like what, I understand like it's your glory and you know, it's, it's cool and all, but, but like what's the deeper meaning here? And, and the Lord hit me so, just in the way he does, which is such a sweet, soft voice. He said, Micah, you want to know why I did all of this? You want to you know why I planted that tree in the garden of, of, of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You want to know why I went to the cross? You want to know why I established the house of David? You want to know why I'm going to rule and reign with you for all of eternity? He says, because I love you. He says, I want you to tell everyone at Life Church, I went through all of this, established this whole house of David that we're reading about right now in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I did it for them. Do you ever feel like no one is for you? Do you ever feel like you're out on an island and no one can see you and there's, there's going to be times where you're just like, does anybody out there care? Have you ever been there? I've been there. And I want you to remember the house of David next time that thought comes into your mind. And remember that God established the house of David, not for David's sake, not for Solomon's sake, but for all of our sakes. It was so that you would have salvation and freedom. And I think it is so appropriate today as we come into this passage, the house of David brings freedom and liberty for all of us. And it's through Jesus Christ, the son of the most high, that that seed was birthed. The seed of freedom and liberty was birthed. That, that our founding fathers knew, they understood liberty through the eyes of, in the lens of God. Those gone, that have gone before Moses understood it. David understood it. People understood liberty. God is the God of freedom. And on this Independence Day weekend, let us celebrate that God has called us into the house of David. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If there's anyone in this room that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not a get out of a hell free card. This is a live an amazing, God-breathed, passionate, royal life and eternity card. Don't think of salvation as just, I want to go to heaven someday. Think of it as heaven is coming into you right now. You are now going to be royal blood in the house of David for all of eternity when you step across the line of faith and you say, you know what? Today, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm tired of being beaten down. I'm tired of tyranny, oppression. I'm tired of addiction and bondage. I know God is not the God of tyranny. I know he's not the God of oppression. He wants me to be free. Reach out and grab the hand of Jesus. If that's you today, and I just want to create a space for you. I want to create a moment to where you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved. You will enter into the house of David this very moment. If you've never done that and would like to do that today, would you just lift your hand up? See the hand in the back. See that? I see that one hand back there. That's praise God. Anybody else? You know, wait just for a second. The Lord is tugging on your heart. You're loved. He loves you. You don't have to get cleaned up and then come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me as you are. He doesn't care about your lifestyle choices. He doesn't care about the mistakes you've made. He doesn't care. All of that he'll take care of. Just come as you are. and He'll make you like he. He'll make you like him. He'll make you in his image. Anyone else? 
All right, there's one, one person who raised their hand. For that person who raised your hand, I just want you to, in your heart, pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you through what we call the sinner's prayer of salvation. And just repeat after me in your own heart. Know that God hears your heart right now. He knows you. He's going to hear every, every word that you're praying in your own mind right now, and you're going to step across that line of faith and take the hand of Jesus. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you now in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my mistakes. I'm sorry for running from you all of my life. But today, I reach out and grab your hand, Jesus. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are the son of the most high God, the seed of David that was given for me. Would you come into me, Father, with your Holy Spirit, Make me a new creation. I surrender my heart to you. And I live for you from this moment on for all of eternity. Thank you, Father, for setting me free and giving me liberty. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For that person who prayed that prayer, the Bible says the angels are celebrating in heaven right now because of you. So can we celebrate with them? Praise the Lord. And we got a gift for you. So if, you've, if you prayed that prayer, even, even, and we know there's one person who prayed that, if there's someone else who prayed that too, come up and see me afterwards. I got a book I want to give you. Uh, it's called Next Steps. This is the beginning. It's not the end. Taking a step of salvation and latching on to independence and, uh, and, and uh, freedom and liberty from bondage, that is the first step of living a god fearing, awesome, passionate, purposeful life. So, so church, would you stand with me? I'm going to bless you, and then we'll, we'll go. We're going to have a great Independence Day and, and weekend. We know that God is going to be with us. And as you go, my, my challenge to you is, as you're talking about freedom and liberty, remember to always bring it back to the author of that freedom and liberty. You're going to have many conversations with many people over the next few days about how great it is to be free. But take it back to the freedom that we have in Jesus. Because if it's just freedom in this life, but not freedom for eternity, you, you've lost it. What good is it to gain the whole world, but then to lose your soul is what scripture says. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, Find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.